and welcome to the Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento, where we talk to anyone working in the food industry in and around our city. Our goal is to take you behind the scenes and introduce you to the people who are making your favorite dining experiences happen. I'm one of your hosts, Max Connor, joined as always by my intrepid co-host, Neil Little. Neil, what's been going on, man? It's been a while since we hopped on here and did a pod. It has been a while. Uh, it's been a busy holiday season at the restaurants. It was a lot of fun, though, and now that we're getting into January, things are kind of slowing down a little bit, so we got more time to bring some more awesome stories to you guys. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. What's been going on for you food-wise? Anything fun? Oh, boy. No, not at all. I uh, started school a couple weeks ago, so I am back onto the uh, you know smoothie in the morning, maybe an apple, a little, little bowl of granola, the real exciting stuff, you know? But peanut butter and jellies have been my go-to recently. Uh, bouncing through jellies, bouncing through different peanut butters. <laughs> that's been my go-to meal as of late. Nothing wrong with the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to say it. I ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for breakfast every day for probably a 10-year span of my life. And that's not as a kid. That's from like 22 to 32, I would say. <laughs> not just because my mom packed it in my lunch, which is where my love of peanut butter and jelly probably started. I think peanut butter and jelly sandwiches might be the single most eaten thing in my life from start to where I'm at now. I would agree. I don't think there's any single food item I've eaten more than a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's they're they're delicious. As are all the pies and ice cream I've been making. I mean, you've been eating healthier than me. I've been making <laughs> I was like kind of had this idea of a New Year's resolution that I actually heard from a guy in the I don't know if you watched the Cook series that Michael Pollan did, but there was a sort of nutritionist in that series who said one of his tips to people is eat whatever you want. You just have to make it from scratch. So I have been making the ice cream and making the pies, and then none of it has been making it out to share with anyone else. So, I mean, I think I've made like four ice creams and four or five pies in just the last few weeks that are just going straight to the face. All right. There are two things I want to bring up right here. First of all, I want to roll back real quick. I, I am not one for New Year's resolutions. I think it's dumb. If, if you want to do something, do it. I'm all for it. But anyway, I digress. But if you want it, you got to make it. I love that yeah. principle. I think that's a great idea. Because uh, first of all, anything you make at home is not going to be as bad as like buying it anywhere you're going to get it at a store. So at least you're like cutting down on that thing and that health-wise. But uh, also number two, tell me more about these ice creams. Oh, so I, yeah. So I mean, you know, I'm a fan of Salt and Straw and I have their cookbook, which... For anyone who wants to make ice cream, they have the best just base ice cream recipe that I found that's pretty foolproof. But I made one of their classic ice creams, which is a pear and blue cheese ice cream. I made their goat cheese blackberry habanero jam ice cream. And then I made an ancho chili chocolate ice cream with pistachio butter. So I took pistachios and melted white chocolate and whipped it up into like a sweet like pistachio peanut butter, but made out of pistachios. So it was like spicy chocolate ice cream with pistachio butter instead of peanut butter. And then I made, off spun off of that, I made a dark chocolate ice cream with almond butter and Ritz crackers that I blended the Ritz crackers into the all into like this honey almond butter. So it created this almost like Ritz crackery, almondy, buttery, delicious ribbon throughout the ice cream. It was amazing. And then I made honey nut Cheerio milk ice cream with a marshmallow graham cracker swirl as well so i've been i've been getting into it i've been nerding out on the ice cream dude i love the creativity <laughs> there that is fantastic first of all you, you had me at the pair of blue cheese just yeah. from the start if there's anything with blue cheese I, i'm jumping in 
with a lot of those ice creams, it sounds like a good, nice cold brew would go with those. And, you know, one of the fine arts is, you know, crafting food that goes well with beer. And we fortunately have a wonderful chef on today who does exactly that. Absolutely. Rebecca Campbell of Sac City Brews, the owner and chef over there, she's putting out some really amazing food. We get pretty deep into the weeds on some of the dishes that she's made over there, as well as there's a connection to farmers and the local community. It was a really fun interview. And we also got to go into the dining room and did this interview on an off day on site and saw their tiny little kitchen where they're putting out 400 plates on a busy night and slinging a whole bunch of craft beer local here to Sacramento as well. We talk all about the different food that Rebecca makes over there in Tahoe Park at Sac City Brews, and I think you'll really all enjoy her story because on top of all the great food she makes, she has just a story unlike we've heard to this point as to how someone made their way into the kitchen. So without further ado, our interview with Rebecca Campbell, chef and owner of Sac City Brews in Tahoe Park. Rebecca Campbell, thank you so much for being on the Dine One Six. It's great to have you. Thanks. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for inviting us to to your place. This is really cool. I used to live right over here. On site. Yeah, on site. So if you notice a little bit different sound quality, that's because we're sitting right in the middle of the dining room here yeah. at Sac City Brews in Tahoe Park. Um, so first, we always the first question we always ask is just, what was your connection like to food growing up? What was food like in your house? We heard, we just heard from you before we got on mic that you grew up on a farm that actually had working sheep dogs. So what was the, what was the food situation like? Yeah. So my parents were like super permaculture hippies before it was cool. Like original hipsters. Um, we had a 10 acre farm, um, orchards with peaches and pears, um, some other stone fruit, like plums and stuff, but we mostly predominantly peaches. And then, acre of corn, tomatoes, squash, the whole thing. My mom is an intense gardener. She is uh, got a green thumb like no other. So we had fresh produce all year long. So yeah, so lots of straight from the garden food uh, definitely happened. And then, you know, there was bread baking and (laughs) tofu eating and (laughs) very crunchy granola (laughs) um, uh, situations going on. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's kind of like a funny thing because I was like all my friends, you know, being a child of the 80s, you go over to your friend's house and they have like packaged, you know, Twinkies and Hostess products and like Chef Boyardee and Hot Pockets. Right. And all these things because it was like that was the the boom of prepared, you know, heated up really quick food. And our house was never that we, and it was just like, we don't ever get any sugar cereal ever. (laughs) And so that's just kind of like the funny thing is, you know, now that we've, I think a lot of folks have reconnected with their own food and it's kind of interesting to have always kind of had that. So for me, like eating seasonally and understanding where food is coming from has never been something I had to learn. It's just like innate. It's part of how I was raised. And as a child, let me tell you, it was not something I appreciated. As a grown up, I'm like, oh yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> so yeah. Was that here in town or where was that? In the foothills. Okay. So yeah, um, between Auburn and Placerville, there's a little area called Cool Pilot Hill. Mm-hmm. It's very rural, like rolling hills. Yeah, right on the edge um, of the, there's oak trees, but not it's not too cold yet. It still stays pretty hot up there. Yeah. So good growing area, good fertile soil. I think that's the backside of the training hill hike, if I recall correctly. I think there's a big loop that goes around from Auburn to Cool that I've done a few times. Yeah, so and I the Tevis Cup, which yep. is like a horse race. Yeah, cool. 100 mile. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful spot. Yeah. Mountain Especially biking and running. Probably, yep. like you said, 
in you know your 30s you probably look back and be like oh this was ideal like as a kid you're probably like this is boring and terrible yes which every kid thinks every place is boring and terrible you could grow up in new york city and complain about it when you're 14 right but it's all about perspective right yeah. like when you're, yeah when you're a kid you're like why does it take so long to get anywhere right and yeah and we Fresh really food, yeah we gosh. really have to eat peach <laughs> p- cobbler for dessert like uh you know but yeah. So were your parents good cooks along with all the fresh produce that they were growing or? Uh, I would say there's, there is a, a tendency to cook, but my mom is one of those like waste, not want, not kind of folks. So she like sees value in every scrap of leftovers. So casseroles were a real thing, which is not also that much fun as a kid. And my dad wasn't a big cook, but yeah, some, you know, a little bit of grilling. Um, we, butchered the the sheep as well so we had lamb and beef all the time yeah so grilled lamb chops were definitely a thing making mint jelly from mint like out in the like (laughs) outside the front door but I actually ended up doing a lot of cooking at a pretty early age I started my I started cooking for my brother and my sister when I was like probably 10 11 Um, and the first time I ever like followed a recipe which is like super kind of crazy was to make sweetbreads, which oh, wow. is like not a thing that yeah. you would think. I, w- I think I was, I was in fourth or fifth grade, so I don't know what it was, but we had this whole collection of like better homes and gardens cookbooks and we were also homeschooled. So there was a whole element of like reading and, you know, doing totally like a sort of alternative education approach, but like really hands-on and so my dad was like, here are sweetbreads. These are an Oregon. This is where they come from on the, on the sheep. And here are cookbooks. And I'm sure you can find a recipe in them. So here's like basically how you can figure out how to like use an index and source your ingredients and do the thing. And I mean, I probably never would have eaten a sweetbread or even attempted to cook it. And I don't even think my parents were super into the idea. But it was more of like, here's this thing that's normally discarded and also here's this thing that actually is a delicacy and now you're gonna try and figure out how to put this recipe together child (laughs) so (laughs) go for it but it was like butter and herbs and garlic and you know slow like a a quick cook and a cast iron pan and out they went and I will never forget that experience because it was like I followed a recipe I did a thing it tasted good and you know that was kind of I think a confidence boost yeah but I'm not a great recipe follower in practice. I never envisioned owning a restaurant, never envisioned being a chef. I went to graduate school for four years in a row. I have two master's degrees, like never thought that I was going to be spending my life organizing the back of house and putting together catering menus and doing all of this stuff. But it's something I get, I would never change because mm. it's so fun. Let's go yeah. back to two master's degrees and like the path you were on to now owning Sac City Brews, what, what was the path before the kitchen and how did it shift? Yeah, so I was doing, I have a, I, my first master's degree is in English from um, UNR, just a lot of social advocacy and social justice like work. That was really what I was interested, interested in, but figuring out like how social change is made and then went to Davis for community and regional development and took that sort of like work in rhetoric and how social campaigns are made and how, how folks actually, you know, you can learn all about stuff that you don't think is working, but until you find the tools to sort of like make change happen, you know, that's kind of like a little epiphany moment, right? Of like, oh my God. So for me, I went to 
to Davis and I started working with green space um, and vacant land, mostly in the urban core. Urban agriculture has always been an interest of mine, obviously growing up on a farm. I think there's something like there is an idea of like, why, how are we using all the space that we have? Um, if we have, you know, if we have food deserts, if we have unequal access to green space, if we have all these things, like how are we not, how are we fixing that? Um, and so I was working in the nonprofit sector doing some advocacy for like small farmers and helping folks find pathways, revenue pathways into like food hubs and institutional buying and all of that. So doing some work with trying to educate small farmers, especially first generation farmers. And then I was doing work in the inner city core with green spaces, mostly all in South Sacramento. Man, Rebecca's story is just fascinating. I mean, Neil, at this point in the interview, I was just kind of wondering, like, wait a second, how how did she go from two master's degrees and working community development and sure, working with farms, you know, sort of more than food adjacent, but not really anything to do with a restaurant. And there we were sitting in her dining room of her well-established tap house restaurant at that point. It was just, I was like, where's the story going? Oh, yeah, that is a hard right off the educational trail to go jump into a kitchen. But good for her, and she's doing well. Rebecca had always enjoyed cooking for her friends, and most meals ended the same way. You know, you should do this for real. Start a restaurant. Began as a fun idea, but over time it started to grow legs and gain momentum, playing with menu ideas and potential layout designs. Soon... As you mentioned, a good friend pitched her on starting a tap house. Rebecca thought, hey, it might be kind of fun to run that kind of kitchen. But she had a very clear vision of what she wanted to help create. My criteria was it has to be in a spot where we don't have a lot of competition because this is scary. It has to be a corner and it has to have a lot of room for plants. <laughs> so and I'm uh, not budging. And I'm not budging because I really like plants. Um, so can we please just do these things? Uh. And I wanted a lot of windows because I wanted space. I like, I love craft beer. I've always like I've loved craft beer since I was a kid. I mean, I'm not a kid. I won't. I'll take that back. But um, a young adult, uh, there may have been, may or may not have been a lot of Sierra Nevada in my life. Pale Ale is like the yeah that was like the coming of age beer and so obviously like I've always loved I've liked hops I've loved west coast IPAs I've just always really loved craft beer it was like what do you want to do on the weekend find a new brewery like mm. let's go do that um so always have been in, super into beer but was always kind of like breweries all look the same and they kind of did it was like hella dark wood steampunk like look at what we can make with pipes that we painted black you know like all of these things which are cool it's great it's totally like a thing, right? But I was like, I just want it to feel lighter and more open and more welcoming. And I don't want to feel like I'm in a hole drinking beer. Like I love beer, but I want to also feel like I'm outside. I want to feel like, yeah, it's like welcoming and warm. And we're I'm still in California. Yeah, 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 and a cool aesthetic. And so, so I was like, yeah, we, I want to be have a patio. I want to have all that space. So this place popped up. He lived down the street, and so he was walking by here all the time and was like, just, you know, make, literally making beer runs to the lounge or to the Talic bottle shop and saw this place and was like, all right, I'm going to drag her out here to look at it. And so I came out and looked at the place and was like, it's on a corner. It has really big windows. We could definitely make a patio. They could probably grow some plants in there. Okay, fine. <laughs> like, I'm in. So that was kind of how it all, how it all started. And also not having this neighborhood 
the research part of me turned on for that like whole you know creating the pitch deck yeah and everything so you know our first like one of the first pages of the to the investors was a a map that's like look there's a brewery there's a brewery there's a brewery there's a brewery where are the restaurants like where's the tap house there's nothing where you can get both food trucks are great i love i mean i love myself a food truck but it's nice to have some place that you're you have a consistent menu folks right. know that they're especially parents with kids <laughs> know that they can go and just chill and it's not going to be like oh it's a 20 minute wait or it's a i don't know if they really ha- we're going to make this thing a kid friendly option but it might not really be so it was like the, from the beginning it was like we want a place we can see the demographic it's young you know it's this neighborhood is actually very diverse there's people who've lived here their whole lives like grew up in these mm-hmm. homes um, who are regulars and then there's a lot of young professionals there's a lot of artists this is a huge artistic mm. community like there's so much going on it's a big lgbtqia presence so we have just like a really great diverse group of folks who need a space to feel like included feel safe feel comfortable bring their dogs bring their kids bring their parents bring whoever's in town and just be able to chill you know and not feel rushed and not feel any sort of pressure so the counter service model picnic tables really relaxed sort of vibe is what we were going for and hopefully what we've achieved here (laughs) so seems like it i mean you've been Mm -hmm. here five years you've you know, gotten yeah. through COVID and you've talked about how, how busy it's been. You showed us the all electric small kitchen and you said 400 plates going out of there some, some days, which I can't imagine. And it doesn't surprise me that you guys are here too with the space that you built. Cause it's, it's like a true neighborhood spot, which so many neighborhoods in Sacramento, I feel like are missing. I feel like Midtown has so often been the place where people went and there's this whole generation, frankly, like our age who, you know, probably lived in Midtown, maybe at some point, who moved out to the other areas and to have to have a neighborhood spot like this, I think is is perfect. It's like right time, right place. Yeah. Patrick so. Mulvaney calls us double off the grid because, you know, <laughs> Oak Park claim like they're the off the grid area. Right. We're double off the grid That's because right. we are not even like as close or proximate to Midtown as Oak Park. But I'm like, yeah, we are. We're double off the grid. We have parking. It's great. That's right. <laughs> you know, That's exactly you can, right. bu- you can bike here. You can walk here. You can pl- take public transportation here. It's easy. Yeah. Bacon and butter is honestly a neighborhood. Like, I mean, that is the anchor. When you say we're in Tahoe park, people are like, huh? I'm like buy bacon and butter. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Right. <laughs> like yeah. got you, you know, now you're on the map, which is great. They're ma- it is amazing. It is. It's cool. So I know you've had a lot of passion for food and learning how to cook with fresh ingredients growing up. Where did the insane idea of wanting to cook for more than three instead quad you know, I, I don't know a thousand times that into it like 150 <laughs> to 200 to 400 people on a Friday night where did that drive and want come from yeah I think that's a <laughs> I think that's a learned sort of thing there is nothing I like better than being on the line if mm. I could be on the line every day and not ever sit behind a computer I would be the happiest girl in the world. <laughs> like it is my most favorite thing. I had to work this whole past weekend. Like, I mean, now that we're, we are a little bit more established and everything. I, when we opened, I was, it was every day. It was prep to close every day. But now, you know, I'm able to step out a little bit more and build the business and do the marketing and all of that stuff. But there is something that is so fulfilling about watching tickets come in, knowing where everything is, firing everything and getting it out and it's beautiful and people are stoked and there's a high there that you can't ever really duplicate 
it is amazing. And then to hear feedback and every once in a while, you know, when you step out to run food or do whatever, and then someone goes, Oh my God, like when it hits their, like it hits the table and you're like, yeah, (laughs) I made that, you know, thanks. I'm so glad that that is visually appealing to you and you haven't even taken a bite yet, but you are so excited to eat this. And I'm so happy that that happened. You know, I love this style of food because you can surprise people by bringing so many flavors. They expect pretzels and beer cheese. They expect really basic tacos. They expect nachos. They expect a lot. This is like wings. We have all those things, but our wings are gochujang sweet and spicy glaze and they have black sesame seeds and they have pickled jalapenos and they have, which we house pickle and they have, it's just a whole, and and a side of kimchi and it's just a whole different thing. We brine them for three days, no exceptions. We will be sold out of wings if those wings have not been sitting Mm. in the brine for three days. Otherwise we're out because they just don't taste the same. They don't fall off the bone. And like, there's just standards that are so fun, I guess, to have I was like, this is how I want it to taste. This is how I want it to look. This is how I want it to feel. And it just happens, you know? And I don't know. There's a high, I guess, there that you just can't really get in other places from just running a great night. Having a good service. I mean, there's nothing worse than a shitty service. Like, <laughs> there's nothing worse yeah. than, like, a fryer goes down, a cook calls out, you're down, you're, you know. And whenever, if a fryer goes out, then just like hang on and wait because something or two or three more bad things are also going to happen. You know, it's never one. No, it's never, it's never one thing. And it always happens right when you're like, I have finally got all my shit together. Everything's organized. Everything's here. There's no crisis. And then boom, like the whole, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like, here it goes. And like the first, you get the first text, like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not feeling good. Not coming in today. Like, okay, cool. We'll be down a person in the back. Okay, great. And the next thing, Oh, you know, and it's just over. It's like a fryer goes out, a delivery doesn't happen, something, you know, they sent the wrong thing and then you're just putting it all together. But then when you fix that, that's also a cool, you know, a great feeling of still giving the people what they want. And yeah, so I guess scaling up from a personal kitchen to a restaurant is a whole different thing. But like I said, there's no more, there's no place that I'm more comfortable than in that totally unconventional kitchen that we have running the line on a Friday night. Like, that's a happy place for me. And brunch, I know people hate brunch. I fucking love brunch. Brunch is great. Brunch is fun. <laughs> yeah, like, you're crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm aware. But I have rules, man. I have rules. I know what we can do. So I'm not, we're not poaching eggs, you know? Smart. Look, there's no place to do that. We don't have counter space. We don't have a sous vide. Like, it's not happening. I'm like, yeah, we have some scrambled eggs and we have some hard boiled eggs that we've shaved into this really cool crumble that you probably haven't seen before. And we have this and we have that, but we don't have poached eggs. No. And we're not doing eggs to order. So it's just, I mean, we're doing fried eggs to order, but the one egg, that's the one style. We're not doing yeah. egg whites only. Right. Uh, <laughs> no. no egg white only frittata. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. no, you're setting yourself up for success. So did you hire any type of chef when you first opened or was it just you from day one or did you hire a chef to help? Because that's my thought is like, how, how do you go from cooking Thanksgiving dinner to really, and even, you know, researching and obviously you've got two graduate degrees, so you know all about research, how to get it on the page and make lists and everything else, but still to really learn how to prep and open a place to get open is, how, how did you learn how to do that? Or you nodded your head when I said you'd hire a chef, so did you start with somebody that kind of helped get it off the ground? Yeah, we did start with someone. 
that lasted for three entire weeks. Mm. So that was really fun. That's when I learned (laughs) when you said, when did you decide that you wanted to be a chef? I was like, I didn't decide. It happened. The universe was like, hey girl, here's the kitchen. Um, Guess what you're doing. Yeah. And also you don't have anyone else to do this tonight. So you best figure it out. Wow. So yes, we did hire a chef. We had interviewed and hired line cooks, but we hadn't landed. We like had hired the first chef and that didn't fall through. I don't know. You know, BOH people are totally pirates. New restaurateurs don't really know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. You can interview well and then you can not show up or you can interview poorly and then be great. You can have a side problem going on in your life to where it's very hard to be <laughs> consistent. Sure. There's a lot of things a that happen. That. Back house people are pirates, man. Like, oh, that's just how it is. We had hired a chef. He came in and honestly helped a lot in the amount of time there was an what it really was was the segue right from how to scale my recipes all the way up like learning very quickly that we can't be making mac and cheese balls every day I will tell you also we did not think we were going to be selling very much food our original menu was 10 items Mm. I need to go back actually and look at it just for laughs because it was like we're not going to be a food place we're a beer place we are we just have that kitchen to get our type 41 like that's all we're doing we're full we're like checking a box we're a bona fide eating establishment there's some hot food available here and it was very clear on like I don't know an hour into the day of the first (laughs) soft open that people were going to eat here and that we were going to need to figure out how to like really feed the people. The first chef helped in getting just knowledge a little bit about how to scale some stuff up, where to put stuff that's efficient, you know, just where to put things. Cause like we had induction burners at the beginning, which was like, what the, I don't even know what we were thinking. There's a lot of stuff. It's, it's funny. Like I said, the day ones, we go back every once in a while and we're like, remember when we used to make our fry seasoning, like two tablespoons of each ingredient at a time. And now it's like <gasps> in a four quart camera, oh, right. ready to go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nope, you're always ready. Like just be ready. But the, the first chef was like I said, here for three weeks, helped get some practices and some things in order. And honestly was the confidence boost that I needed. That was like, that guy can do it. I can do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, whatever. Sure. I like if he, yeah, if he can handle it and you know, it's basically like figuring out how to communicate, telling people what you need, making sure you have all your shit, like organized, get your mise in place and get everything ready and let's, and let's go. And that's kind of how it was. And so as soon as we were open, I was pretty much expoing, unofficially expoing, and then just kind of elbowed my way onto the line and I haven't left and we have definitely evolved. <laughs> <laughs> that growth is awesome. <laughs> What are some of your biggest surprises, like your happiest recipe food moments here at Sac City Brews? You're just like, I'm going to try this. I don't know if it's going to work. And then it just crushed. Hmm. So we, a thing that like I didn't think was ever going to, it's st- that stayed on. Okay. So we have these chicken nachos. <laughs> They're addictive. And all it is, is I've always made, like I've just been a like Sunday football, like make nachos kind of mm-hmm. gal. Um, and I always make this chipotle crema with it's like a little bit of Mexican crema, a little bit of just heavy whipping cream. And then I've, my refrigerator has never not had adobo puree. Like, yeah, because I love that. So we, you know, you just blend up a whole can of chipotle peppers and adobo and strain it. So you have no seeds and then you can toss that in anything. You can toss that in peppers and onions. You can toss that in with, in a sauce. You can put it in eggs. You can put it really in anything. And it's just going to add that smoky. Just, it's not exactly smoky. It's not, I mean, it's not exactly, exactly spicy. It's a little smoky sweet, just perfection. And so I make this like chipotle crema. So we have nachos that it's like okay we'll put these nachos on the menu and see how they do but like they're not like everyone else's it's mozzarella and pepper jack poblano chilies so those are spread pretty generously whole black beans with cumin and garlic powder 
seasoning and then grilled chicken and the chipotle crema onion and cilantro cotija and jalapenos on top and people are addicted they're like these nachos are perfect they're the perfect nachos and i'm like they're just nachos but they're like but they're like they're not just nachos they're not they're not just nachos they're not like queso from a you know from a can they're not just melted cheese and adding on stuff because every bite has all the things like every bite is a perfect bite and so that is a thing that like i mean it's so simple and it shouldn't be this thing that crushes but i'm like some days we're a nacho place now i know back in i think it was 2015 you were working with the soul farm the urban farms group Mm -hmm. do you still work with them and utilize local farms and things like that or has that come and gone or whatnot yes we 100% use local farms because we just don't that is something that is like a stick to my guns thing I grew up on a farm like I know what a fresh vine ripened tomato tastes like and that's like a no compromise thing for me and so there's a lot of stuff like that that's just like yeah you know I understand that we can buy things unseasonally I understand that we can get pretty much anything we want any time of year but there are things that just are absolutely like stick to your guns. So we have a farm down the street called Route 64, who had been one of the, like the anchor booths at the Oak Park Farmer's Market. But then actually during COVID, because everything was shut down, started doing their own farmer's market here. So we support them a lot with their, we'd already were buying their produce. So we get, you know, year round, it's like, it's not fully year round, um, but we get everything from cilantro and parsley and green garlic and like all the different like herbs all the way up to, you know, they're curing winter squash right now. So I follow them, you know, obviously, and like see what their farmer's market list is. And I'm like, man, I'm going to go there as a customer like and buy that <laughs> stuff because it's they're they're really they're doing a great job. But then we work with bigger, you know, folks like Terra Firma and Three Sisters. The Center for Land-Based Learning is a really cool organization that supports. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they they have incubator farms. So they're supporting folks who are really wanting to farm and have like knowledge of a lot of land practices, but are needing some, they might need support with like how to build a business plan and how to like actually make it sustainable as far as like, you know, business goes. And so they're really like these incubator farms provide literally that they provide a support system, whether it's like sourcing your water or like where the best seeds or the best, you know, prices on, you know, so it's just all of that really great support. And so we try to buy a lot of produce from, or we buy things from the center for land-based learning incubator farms, which are out in West Sac. But yeah, it's, you know, and then we get random farmers who knock on our door and it's like, yeah, of course we'll work with you. You know, like it's, let's see what we can do. And so it's really fun, you know, and that's kind of the cool thing about getting a produce, like getting a, a farmer's like fresh sheet of what they have is just, that's when it's fun. You know, it's like, what can we do with this? You know, it's fig season. Okay. What are we going to do with figs? Are we going to put them on a flatbread? Are we going to make a jam? Are we going to, you know, what are, what are we doing? Like, let's, it's, let's do something fun. And like persimmons, folks think they don't like persimmons, but we make a persimmon chutney and put it on top of curry tater tots and they fucking go crazy for it. (laughs) Or you, you know, do a super spicy, like mustard rubbed pork loin and make a sandwich and have a persimmon chutney on that and, or a persimmon jam with some brie or some Swiss and oh, it's over. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> it's like you put anything on brie <laughs> and I'm in. Let's yeah, just be honest true. right now. But you get that like fruit, you know, it's like, it's fruit, it's fat, it's pork. Everything's great. Like, so. So it sounds like you work with a lot of farmers. Is there a lot of seasonality on your menu? How, how do you approach the menu from that side? Yeah. So we have a core menu. That's our lunch and dinner menu. Just like it runs every day. And that we source as seasonally as we can. So like if jalapeno, you know, we have jalapenos on that menu, like, they're on top of the nachos they're you know whatever all the time they're in the wings we have green onions year round 
but we source all those things when we can get them from farmers, but there's a, you know, a couple of months of the year when we can't. Then we have our specials menu, um, which is Friday and Saturday. And that is where the local ingredients really shine um, because those things are always rotating. And usually we have between four and six specials a weekend. I always try to have a vegetarian option. So like right now we're running Brussels sprouts and cauliflower and hot honey with Parmesan Uh, flakes. (laughs) Yeah. And uh those are amazing. Right. And so like we always just try to like, that's when we done a broccoli rob like with bacon and that's bomb. We have an apple and prosciutto flatbread. There's just all, you know, it's just kind of like that, like making a gypsy pepper relish because it's the very end of pepper season this week. Going to make some, I'm making persimmon jam later today. Like, you know, it's that kind of stuff like what, um, roasting off tons of squash. Like it's, so we'll have butternut squash soup and it's just that kind of thing. Yeah. And then I try to plan to incorporate local produce into our like top menu or, you know, into our rotating menu since we have so many rotating menus. That's kind of where those things go, you know? That's cool. I mean, I think that's like even the next level of farm to fork is when you can start to get restaurants that are established enough to be able to work with farmers and really almost ask them to grow certain things because you know you're going to be there and that you're going to buy a lot of it or all of it and that's it also helps the farms because the farms know what i'm growing i'm going to sell yeah it's a harmonious business yeah and then also i mean and the third like benefactor of this is actually our regulars we do these chinese they do they grow chinese long beans and chinese long beans are not familiar to everyone mm-hmm. right but we flash fry chinese long beans toss them in a garlic butter and a lemon wedge. it's very simple lemon wedge and parsley and we have kids who will eat a whole plate of those for dinner and their parents are stoked and we're stoked and like kids are asking you know people are asking like when are those things coming back when is this when, when is this and that coming back because they're yeah. waiting for it they grow a purple daikon, which is just purple daikon is like a beautiful thing, you know, on a plate. And it's so fun because it's like those kind of things that are like, okay, are you going to be able to take, you know, will you be able to take 20, 30 pounds of that next week? Yeah, I will. Like we'll pickle it for this. We'll do that, you know, and it's a blast because then regulars are also connected to a farm that's in their neighborhood. Mm. Like they eat, can eat it here. We try to, you know, we post on Instagram and support them, especially like this whole summer we had a reel. So every single Friday we released a, a reel of like what the menu item was that was coming directly from the farm. Oh, that's cool. Um, and that's, you know, it's nice. It's double co- coverage for them, but then it also makes your guests feel good because they know they're supporting someone who's literally in their neighborhood and is also, you know, coming here to grab a beer and hang and out. Most importantly, the kids are eating vegetables. <laughs> that's, that's the biggest limit of all exactly this. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love how much Rebecca like includes her community in her restaurant. You know, whether it's the farmers, the people coming in. I love how she, you know, you know, ad- basically advertises for the farmers. You know, whatever they have in stock that she's using in the restaurant, she communicates with her staff and the patrons that come in on like, hey, come in and learn how to eat and learn, you know, different flavors with them, so then they can go out on their own, go support the farm. And it really brings in more of a community and everyone and a sense of everyone contributing at the restaurant. Yeah, I mean, we we heard early in her story about that community development and working with farmers and lo and behold she's really brought it into her business and she has really blended beautifully really a focus on hospitality along with all the fun crazy food she was talking about in that last segment it is food focused but man before that comes her community and the hospitality that she provides at Sac City Brews and she talked about when COVID hit 
there was a portion that we didn't leave in the interview. She talked about when COVID hit, how lucky they were that the community showed up and people came and bought to-go food when they didn't need to. And then they were lucky that they got a patio. They got a COVID parking lot patio like most people did, but theirs is going to stay permanently. And it added all this extra space for them to, to grow into. And so, you know, that last part of the interview, what really struck me was just how much creativity goes into her food. And given she's someone who was so academically focused for a long time, I wondered if she considered herself a creative person, if she had other creative pursuits, was an artist or that sort of thing. And I was really surprised that her answer was no. Only in like probably the last couple of months I've been like, oh no, I think I might be a creative person. Like... <laughs> Um, and it's very funny because I think it takes like, I don't know, it's like maybe seeing it or I don't know, seeing that it really is here. Finding the right canvas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with your food as your canvas, not, not, you don't have to be a, a painter or anything. Yeah. And like finding that, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That creativity looks different on a lot of different people. Right. And like, I'm not going to be composing any like sort of song, like musicality, not my thing, but I, I love plating. I love combining ingredients I love that that joy is definitely like what makes we were talking about like restaurant whack-a-mole you know earlier where it's like as soon as you try you think you have one thing solved another one comes up but Mm -hmm. like being able to make beautiful plates and being able to like read I mean I honestly feel like it's a pretty cool like gig to get a list of locally grown produce sent to my inbox on Monday mornings like you know, that makes Mondays not so bad. <laughs> it yeah. makes it pretty great. Um, I feel really lucky that I get to buy great proteins and do like just collaborate with other people and host. I mean, I love it. So, yeah. You mentioned Mulvaney earlier. What What is it? And, you know, and we, we initially met you doing the SAC hot chicken battle. What does it mean to you to be like recognized as being a chef in Sacramento that's doing really cool things with the Mulvaney's and then the other people that were doing like Greg at Urban Roots. What does that mean to you to be a part of that now and in that group of leaders pushing Sacramento forward in food? I feel like it's a pretty cool crew. I honestly think that one of the perks of restaurateuring is the folks that you meet along the way. It's great people with a great work ethic, with a really beautiful drive, with, I don't know, with that creativity. But also there's I think people think that sometimes kitchens and chefs have like these huge egos and there's all of this. And yes, there are egos in kitchens, 100%. You can't deny that. But I also do think that we don't have a piece of the pie, you know, mentality. It's Mm -hmm. like there's more pie, like there's more pie for everyone. And the more we all get along and the more that we all work together, like the more great this city can be. And I've met, you know, amazing people. I've gotten to work behind Brad Chechi at like a really giant um, benefit event. Gotten to, I got to work the bridge dinner. I'm working with Mike Fagnoni from Hawks Provisions and Public House and Hawks Granite Bay on a menu for, we made the menu for a food and beer pairing that we're hosting here. Like I love collaborating. My, you know, this whole not putting your graduate degrees to use thing is like the community, right? right? You're developing a community and it might look different than like marching on city hall, but it's making change. It's actually creating like a place where we are supporting local farmers, where we're all doing the best for our city. So being a, being a chef, being a restaurant owner in Sacramento, I feel like you're with folks who have a lot of the same value sets. The Mulvaney's honestly, like Bobbin, um, during COVID, they like reached out to me and gave me a speed rack. They've given me just lots of different, they've, they're supportive. Like I can text Bobbin and be like, Hey, I need this thing. And she's like, come on down. Like, come on down to the BNL. We got you. And they're anchors of the restaurant community. 
and the fact that they're mentoring and supporting the next generation and no one has this like if I tell you how I'm doing this thing, you might take it away from me. Instead, it's like, let me tell you how I'm doing it. It might work for you. It might not. Like, And we're all kind of doing this group think thing. And I think that's, I mean, that's a community that feels pretty great to be part of. So Now, be, being a part of that community as you are, like, so who are you outside of the kitchen? Like, what, what are your hobbies and interests outside of running an awesome tap house in Talek Village? Well, I'm a mom. Um, I have a seven-year-old who takes up quite a lot of time, and I have another baby on the way. Um, so that definitely, you know, there's swim practice and there's homework and there's a lot of that, but, um, we have a great time. She is a total spitfire and keeps me on my toes. Um, so that's a big part of really what happens, you know, this is the family time of my season of my life. So definitely a lot of that, but I love hiking. I love being outside. Um, being out in nature is probably one of my favorite things and definitely like rejuvenates me the quickest. I broke my ankle in May, so I'm just getting back to the walking part of life and I'm really appreciative for two feet. <laughs> what did that experience, we talked a little bit about it before we started the interview, but what did that experience of breaking your ankle for Giants fans out there? I mean, this sounded like a Buster Posey style ankle, like just destroy ankle ruined, obliterated. Right? And you had mentioned that you had been putting out into the universe. So like, I have to find a way to get out of the kitchen so I can start to really grow the business in other ways. And, and then that happened. What did you learn about your business and sort of about what the future is going to look like, given that you during probably one of your busiest seasons, couldn't just be back there jumping in, doing everything because you had to recover. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot about trust, um, <laughs> and having to trust other people. I'm like a very self-sufficient person. Like I want to do all the things all by myself. Learning to communicate and delegate is actually a thing that I'm always, I feel like I'm always working on. It's like, okay, got to get better at that. Really got to get better at that. And breaking the ankle was a physical removal, right? And my partner, you know, I mean, he stepped up crazy to do those early morning restaurant depot runs drive. I couldn't drive. So that was like crazy. I felt like I was trapped in my own body, but being able to get through the days and then give myself the, like, I used to be an open to close person. Like I never left this place until I was the last, I first went in, first one out, like all the time. That was just kind of the way I thought it had to be. And this restaurant is like, I'm telling you, luckiest place life. We have day one hires who are 100% capable and just needed opportunity of me literally to just walk around the other side, not really walk in this case, sit on a chair with ice on my ankle and expo and like, you know, really give them the opportunity to grow into the cooks that they can be. And the other thing that happened is the universe brought all my babies back. So two early cooks came back. One of my friends stepped up and did, he's chefed all over the South Bay area, everywhere. Um, not in the industry anymore, but ran brunch for me like four weeks in a row. Like really what it felt like was I had a big owie, but I got like a ton of support and like a group hug from this place because everyone was supportive. And even like regulars who are industry, they'd be like, Hey, I want you to know, like some of this was a little rough. I want you to know so you can help improve. And then have given me feedback recently. That's like, they got it. They have it figured out now. Like they really are doing it. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And that's a whole different level of liberation, right? This business makes more sense when 
it's not all on your shoulders. Yeah. But also you can't be the person putting it all on your shoulders. You have to allow people to do the things that they are already capable of doing. <laughs> and they're already getting paid to do and like are very ready to t- accept challenges and let folks shine. Should we jump into rapid fire? I think, I think it's time. What is your favorite cheap guilty pleasure? Uh, Elise Go Burrito. Okay. Yeah, Al Over Pastor. Off 16th? Yeah, okay. Al Pastor. Yep. Elise Go Burrito typically eaten after Restaurant Depot and like straight to the face. There's no saving any for later. <laughs> <laughs> They've got really good stuff there. I've had, yeah. I lived over at 14th and E for a little while. They've got great food. It is. It's yeah. so good. It doesn't like ruin your stomach for the whole day. You know, it's not a gut punch, but it's filling and amazing and fills like, yeah, you got that craving like under control. <laughs> <laughs> What's the dish from your childhood you wish you could go back in time and eat? Can I have two? Sure. Okay. Uh, both of them would be, I said my mom isn't like an amazing cook. There were a lot. She's great, but there aren't a lot of things that she's like, she's very comfortable serving a casserole. Like I said, and that's just something I'm not into, but my mom makes a Dutch baby, which, oh. so, okay. So you know what it is. Some people are like, what's that? And they're like, it's a German. And then they, they think of it as a, it's called a German pancake, I guess also, but a Dutch baby, uh, simple batter, right? It's nothing. It's like eggs, flour, milk. That's it. Whisk it together. But she preheats and browns the butter in this pan so it's so like it releases all the salt and the fat and then dumps that butter or that batter in and it curves up and gets crunchy on the top and then falls and she would sometimes put like coconut flakes or chocolate chips or granola or whatever else you know ways things in that but the plain one with just peanut butter and syrup (laughs) that's it (laughs) that's like the (laughs) breakfast of champions right there and then another cast iron pan thing uh she would get us to eat our vegetables with summer squash and red onions just in salt and pepper and then right at the end when they're almost soft and like translucent on the onions she would add cubes of cheddar cheese like sharp cheddar cheese and then tomatoes the tomatoes would like keep their integrity they wouldn't um you know they wouldn't like turn into sauce and the cheese would just like almost melt but it also wouldn't get everywhere it would just like stay in like a warm cube and we would scarf that and then I'm sure she was stoked because she like just probably you know zucchini you can't once you you plant one zucchini plant and you're like I have enough zucchini to feed a village like yeah. it's ridiculous and I'm so, sure she was like score just like unloaded 10 pounds of squash on the kids you know <laughs> but <laughs> like love that I would still eat that like I still crave that actually um but yeah my daughter's not a squash fan but you know Bummer. yeah she likes For all of her now. veggies yeah. raw she'll eat the veggies they just have to be raw What's one of your favorite places in Sacramento to go get a bite to eat? Like someplace you want to show a little love to that most people might not know about? Bincho. Bincho oh, okay. Yaki. You've mentioned it a few times, and each time yeah. you've said that, I've just smiled. Yeah. I mean, that's like curry noodles, any of the skewers. I love, t- I mean, it's just so good. You open the door and you smell it. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing. Um, crispy rice. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. I love, yeah, Bencho is my favorite. I mean, I'm Japanese food. Like, I love Japanese food. So, crew, Kansai, like, I mean, those are high up there on the list. Oh, Kodaiko. Kodaiko is like mushroom ramen. Yeah, mm. definitely like that. Give me black garlic chili oil any day. But, yeah, Bencho is like one of those things my ears perk up. It's like whenever I'm in a bad mood, it's like, we can get Bencho. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be all right then. <laughs> Do you have a favorite food, movie, or TV show? I do not watch any TV anymore. Um, it's so busy. Um, I did watch The Bear. Uh, mm. Yeah, because everyone was like, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. I think yeah, I like it. How was that to go scene for you? Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> when the t- Yeah, that's, 
I was triggered. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm like, oh my God. Or when the goddamn beef doesn't come and then they have to go back out. And I'm like, oh, I know what this is. It's so stressful. And like the clock is always ticking. And it's just, I mean, I don't smoke, thankfully, but I realize why it might be a coping mechanism. Um, yeah. And it is. And even for me, I guess part of that, you know, I told you I, I bought out the other business partners in April of 2021. And so admin is like, my least favorite thing. But like I said, it's just like crazy busy now. But I think that the bear resonates obviously because it's like the administration and business stress is really like, that's the stuff that takes it out of you. Honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, the cooking part is that's the fun part. Um, yes, there are hurdles to get over like the beef not showing up. You need the beef, but like the just making payroll and doing all that stuff all every, you know, that's the grind. That's like, you know, you don't talk about that on podcasts about right. how stressful it is, yeah. you know, and that's, but so it was like, just watching that is very like that resonates in the, what makes it hard. I mean, but we do it. There's highs and lows. Yeah. So come back every morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Rebecca Campbell, thank you so much for being on the Dine One Six. This was really, really fun. Thanks. I had a blast too. You know what I think I love the most about Rebecca's story is that I can somehow relate where the first thing you end up doing in life is not always what you really want to do and what's going to bring you passion. And I think seeing Rebecca, how she's gone from, you know, farms to going to school, getting two masters, but still ending up in the kitchen, doing something she loved. I just think that's really awesome. And I think what's, that's something that everyone kind of strives for is to find their place where it makes them happy and they feel like a whole and full person. I think you can really see that with Rebecca. She's just a really exciting person to have on the Sacramento food scene. And hearing her story was, it was inspiring. Like you said, we're, we're both sort of, you know, later in career, people who went back to school. You're back in school right now. I finished school, you know, a couple years ago after a decade of doing something else. And so I love that story of someone who just kind of let her heart take her where it was going to go and and found her place you know it's a really fun story if you have not checked out sac city brews get over there and check it out maybe particularly on a thursday night to try their their tater tot special i'm glad rebecca's doing well i actually went by there the you know just a week or so ago and it was a tuesday night and they were packed it was really good to see them doing well i'm really happy with what she's doing and you know the stuff she's bringing out of there is just awesome for this for the neighborhood around there that's going to do it for this episode of the Dine One Six. If you like this episode, any of our episodes, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, please, please share this episode with somebody else. You can leave a review as well. But the best way for the show to grow, we're a local show. Send it to friends in Sacramento and tell them to check out this interview. The easiest place to find us is just go to Dine16.com, where you can find all the interviews and all the podcasts right there. You can follow us on Instagram to see what we're up to, what we're eating, and future episodes coming out. The handle is just at Dine16. And this is your podcast as much as it's ours. So if you have guests that you want to hear from, people you want us to talk to, DM us on Instagram or email us. You can email me at max at Dine16.com or Neil, which is two L's, N-E-I-L-L at Dine16.com. Our opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine One Six is a production of the Hear Me Now studio in Citrus Heights, California. Keep an eye out for a new episode in two weeks on Instagram and in your podcast feed. And until then, as always, eat something you love with someone you love.